0: Running applications in containerized environments involves regularly organizing, adding, and replacing containers. This complex job may involve managing clusters of containers in different geographic locations with different configuration requirements. Platforms like Kubernetes are great for managing this complexity, but include steep learning curves to efficiently get anything off the ground. The company Portainer provides a universal container management tool that works with Kubernetes, Docker, Docker Swarm, and Azure ACI. It enables managing containers without knowing platform-specific code and best practices. Instead, deploying containerized applications is done through a simple graphical user interface. Once deployed, you can observe and monitor the apps and govern security settings all through Portainer. In this episode, we talk to Neil Cresswell, a co-founder at Portainer. I hope you enjoy the episode. A few announcements before we get started. One, if you like Clubhouse, subscribe to the Club for Software Daily on Clubhouse. It's just software daily, and we'll be doing some interesting Clubhouse sessions within the next few weeks. Uh, And two, if you are looking for a job, we are hiring a variety of roles. We're looking for a social media manager, we're looking for a graphic designer, and we're looking for writers. If you are interested in contributing content to Software Engineering Daily, or even if you're a podcaster and you're curious about how to get involved, we are looking for people with interesting backgrounds who can contribute to Software Engineering Daily. Uh, again, mostly we're looking for social media help and design help, but if you're a writer or a podcaster, we'd also love to hear from you. You can send me an email with your resume, jeff at softwareengineeringdaily.com. That's jeff at softwareengineeringdaily.com. Neil, welcome to the show.
1: Great to be here, Jeffrey.
0: We've done lots of shows about container management. And in particular, we covered the container orchestration wars back in 2016 or 2017, whatever that was. And I thought that basically the wars were over. Kubernetes was the container management platform to use. And then you had some options on top of that, like you could use standalone containers from Amazon, like Fargate, or you could use the ones from Azure, like the ACI instances. And then there were a few kind of container management companies like Rancher that seemed to be doing okay. But I thought that generally speaking, the game of container management was over and the opportunities for platform companies built around container management were gone. You have a company built around container management, so I'd love to get your perspective on the market and why there is an opportunity for a container management company.
1: Sure. Well, the war, so so to speak, uh, is definitely not over. Um, There is also still a stronghold of Docker Swarm lovers out there. Um, We still see net new users of Docker Swarm hitting Portainer every single day, which is surprising. Um, so there are still people choosing Docker Swarm versus Kubernetes. So that that war is still, is still ongoing, uh, albeit Kubernetes is definitely out leading the charge there by a country mile. Um, in regards to managing the container platforms, to be completely frank, that war is only just begun. And again, that is not necessarily even a war. That's more how do you actually corral these relatively unwieldy things called containers because they are so hyper-dynamic? Um, if you think back just a few years, people were were really worried about VM sprawl and having virtual machines basically sprouting up like mushrooms because it was just so radically simple to spin up a virtual machine. Well, this with containers is actually multiplied, I don't know, 100, 100 fold, if not more. It's so monumentally quick and easy to spin up a container that... Organizations without knowing may go from having a couple of containers as a test case or project to having many hundreds or thousands of containers without any real effort because it's just so simple and easy to spin them up. That makes it really difficult to start to scale and protect and control your environment when you've got these applications that can be spun up in, in seconds connected to your corporate network and have access to everything in there? How, how do you know who's spinning up app- applications? How do you know that what they're doing is not privileged or protected or in any way hostile? You know, every organization potentially has one hostile actor within their, their company. How do you ensure people are adequately controlled and managed and governed? So there's, there's still a lot of elements of container management that are, that are yet unaddressed by any of the other platform providers out there.
0: So, Given your knowledge of the wars and these different companies that you've seen built around container management or the different products, like another one I forgot to mention, uh, OpenShift, there's there's a bunch of these. How do you differentiate? What do, what do you do in terms of container management that's different than these other platforms?
1: Yeah, so we, we've really focused on the consumption layer. So there are two elements in regards to managing uh, containers. There's the creation of the platform and there is the consumption of the platform. And the creation of the platform is like building building the clusters, adding nodes, installing the the, the uh, container runtime and uh, installing the orchestrator, any storage drivers, network drivers, all that kind of stuff. That's what people like Rancher and uh, OpenShift and others do very well if you if you want to self-host your Docker or Kubernetes environments, you can use one of those tools that'll bootstrap your cluster with all of their recommended configurations and give yourself a cluster. Uh, We think that's going to become quite marginalized because the cloud providers let you do that with a credit card, uh, with the managed Kubernetes services especially. And so we're focused predominantly on the consumption layer. So helping an organization's users consume the capabilities of the cluster. And by that, I mean, make it really easy for them to deploy applications and manage those applications post-deployment. So our sole focus is on providing a natural language interface that users of any, any stage of, of understanding in regards to container management can log into Portainer and deploy applications without necessarily needing to know much, if any, of the underlying technology architecture. So, in, in Portainer, as an example, a user can log in, deploy an application with even the most complicated uh, configurations on top of Kubernetes, and they don't necessarily need to know anything about Kubernetes.
0: And who's the typical customer? Is it like a legacy organization that's refactoring, or are there like startups or like mature startups? Who's the typical type of customer?
1: We actually see a B customer. So a customer is a startup who is is just getting going. They haven't yet had the time to invest any money heavily in automation, or they don't have the knowledge to invest in automation. They just want to build their application, get it running. And predominantly, these are either low-code developers or front-end developers that are, that are using you know, frameworks that don't require them to understand much about the uh, the underlying infrastructure. So those people want to just use Portainer to deploy an application. They would use our application template functionality a lot because they can just spin up a database server and a web server and start you know, throwing their application in it. The other side, the, the the B customer, is actually the larger enterprise who have a very, very significant investment in people, in their developers and or operation staff, who cannot afford the time or money to retrain their entire fleet of, of users. So if, if you think of, of an organization with 500, 1,000, 2,000 developers, if those developers are not uh, suitably conversant in microservices, containers, Kubernetes, how do they transition their application development from a legacy, more monolithic type architecture to microservices without significant retraining, which comes at you know, quite a cost? So Portainer, in that case, helps them lower the barrier to entry so that their existing staff can get going and using this technology without necessarily having to give them prior training. And we've seen that quite regularly uh, across our, our very large users.
0: What's your perspective on the current Kubernetes ecosystem? Like in terms of market penetration How is the technology evolving? Is it becoming easier to use? Give me your perspective on on just the overall ecosystem.
1: So the ecosystem is simply massive. I don't know if you've seen the CNCF landscape, but you could probably wallpaper um, a wall of your house with it. It is simply staggering how many organizations are part of that landscape, which is great if if, if you're really into choice, but if you're... Into just getting things up and running uh, can be quite quite overwhelming. You know, how do you know which is the best network driver to use? How do you know which is the best storage driver to use? How do you know which is the best tools for monitoring your containers? How do you know the tools that the, the best tools for building you know, multi-cluster applications? There's there's just a, such a vast array of options available there, and options are great, but also options can introduce significant confusion. And that that confusion can simply be a, a barrier to entry for for so many people. They just don't know where to get started because there's just so many things to choose from to get started. So at, at this stage, I would say it's still a, a very very complicated environment to, to live within. If you if you just want to to get started, get get working with Kubernetes, it's it's it can be quite daunting. Um, and again, there are there are a number of tools like Rancher and others that let you. Yeah, spin up a uh, opinionated version of what they deem is the best practice componentry so you don't need to go and hunt around everything in, in the landscape, you can just go and use the, the best of breed components to build your cluster but still if you don't necessarily know what you're doing it's quite difficult to to basically log in and start deploying applications. You, you really do need to know the architecture of Kubernetes, the architecture of how, how load balances work or ingress controllers work or persistent storage. If you don't know that, it's very hard to get started. So it's still a very, very confusing time. And I think that's why adoption of containers in the enterprises is still quite low. I saw a survey recently which sampled quite a large number of users and said, the, uh, rate the number of or the, the, the applications that are containerized in your environment, and it was it was about five percent of corporate applications were running in containers. So if if you sample the echo chamber and say, "Of everyone running containers, how many of you are running Docker or Kubernetes?" You're going to get you know a very large number. Or what percentage of your container applications are in production? Eighty oh, percent, and everyone thinks, "Oh, cool, eighty percent of, of, of applications are in production," but yeah, This was one of the first surveys I saw which said of all of the applications running in your organization, how many of them are actually running in containers, and it was as low as 5%, which shows that we've still got a very long way to go before we get mainstream adoption across all applications that power enterprises today.
0: Has the typical onboarding process for an enterprise migrating to Kubernetes has that changed over time, uh, or, the, or or I guess I should say, migrating to containerization? Has it changed over time, or is the, is it the typical strategy? Still, you kind of get some minor part of your application on onto containerization, and then you gradually eat up the rest of the stack over time.
1: I don't think it's changed a lot, to be honest. Uh, stateless containers, your containers that don't actually store any any part of their configuration. Uh, locally, those are still the simplest form of container to get up and running. It's also the simplest form of application to convert into a container. So I think organizations are still starting with that approach. They're saying, well, what of the front end element of my application or even, even the middleware web servers and API gateways are uh, almost always the very first things to be converted into containers because they can store their state externally in a database or, or some other mechanism. When you come into the, the middle layer, the hardened shell of, of your database servers or, or your, your applications that actually require state to be held, that's when things start to get really complicated because all of the dynamics of storage performance haven't gone away. So when you're running things like a stateful database server in a container, you still need to think about, well, how am I going to get the database yeah, stored somewhere in my cluster that is high performant, that is, it's got high IOPs and high throughput and and is highly available, can be shared across all nodes of the cluster. Yeah, that that gets very, very complicated and it's only more mature organizations that would likely embark on that journey. So I think it's still relatively staged approach, you know, cruel, cruel walk, run, and you start off with, with a very, very simple front-end application. You might then transition to your middleware or things like your your message bus, you know, RabbitMQ or something like that, something relatively stateless. Once you've mastered that, you then move on to your stateful apps. That's, that's how I, I see things still progressing anyway.
0: Tell me a little bit more about the architecture of Portainer.
1: Okay, so it has a back-end component, which is you can call the Portainer Server. That is a Golang application that runs itself as a container and it can run either in one of the clusters that it's managing. Yeah, not recommended, but you can, or you can run it on a dedicated virtual machine or a dedicated um, container platform standalone. Uh, call it your management cluster. And it will then connect to and manage all other clusters that you that you need. Users don't install anything on their PC. Users access the Portainer instance through a web browser, and we have an Angular front-end which runs in the browser, connects to the back-end, and all of the activities are from the browser to the back-end. So there's there's nothing installed on the user's PC. There's no need for Kube config files or KubeCTL or anything. It's all browser-based management. Uh, Portainer is all uh, locally hosted by the user. It's not a SaaS offering. So the user can run it inside their secure network. It doesn't require any internet access. Uh, It's a completely isolated environment. Portainer itself manages all of the clusters using our agent. So in the clusters that you want Portainer to manage, you install a little micro piece of software, uh, which is the Portainer agent. And Portainer agent connects securely to the Portainer container for this remote management capability. Uh, We have a version of the agent that is designed for edge compute environments that basically is powered by a reverse tunnel technology so you can have the edge agent running on internet connected kubernetes or docker environments out there in the wild you don't need any port forwarding or nat address or anything as long as the remote devices can connect back to the portainer instance the edge agent will establish a reverse tunnel to portainer to still allow interactive management of those devices over the, the public internet
0: so do you expect the average user to have a kubernetes cluster or to be using standalone containers or do you require them to be using like what what's the spec for what you require them to be using
1: So we are actually completely agnostic we are all about helping users deploy container native applications uh, we don't actually stipulate any orchestrator under the covers. So if you want to use Docker standalone, using Docker desktop on your PC, go ahead. If you want to use a small Docker swarm cluster, because that's what works best for you, go ahead. If you want to use a really lightweight Kubernetes distro like Micro K8s, go ahead. If you want to use a full featured heavyweight Kubernetes environment, self-hosted, go ahead. If you want to use a managed, a managed Kubernetes service from a cloud provider, go ahead. We're not actually in any way mandating how your your environment is deployed or configured. As long as it supports Docker, Docker Swarm, Kubernetes, uh, Azure, ACI, and in the future, a range of other serverless container providers, uh, then we will let you manage it. We're, we're not a Kubernetes dashboard. We're not a Docker dashboard. We're a container-native application tool. So yeah, any, any underlying platform is fine.
0: Give me a little bit of a description for what a container management solution or Portainer specifically, what problems does it alleviate or make easier to manage?
1: So spinning up a container can be relatively simple. You can you can spin up a container, a container just with a simple Docker run command and it's up and running. However, how do you know that that container is running in a way that is safe and secure? How do you know that it's it's compliant with best practices? How do you know that it's not running privileged? How do you know that a user has not elevated the permissions of that container to have access to things like physical hard drives in the, in the Docker host? There are a whole bunch of capabilities that users have access to through the container orchestrator that they may or may not need in the day-to-day operations of their business. Yeah, you know, why why would a regular user be able to start a container that can bind mount HD0, which is the actual block storage device, on the Docker host? What is the reason to do so? Why why would a user need, need to be able to bind mount the root the root file system of the Docker host? Why would they need to have access to to physical devices? Why would they need to run as root in, in the host? There's a whole bunch of of considerations when you're deploying applications that things like Docker and Kubernetes don't get in the way of. They, they simply say, here is an open API. We trust you to trust your users. We won't provide any kind of constraints. Your users can do anything that they ask for. It's beholden on the user to ensure that the system is configured in such a way that they are protected from malicious acts or even even just mistakes and Portainer's goal is to enforce these best practices in the front end of the application. So in Portainer, an administrator can actually disable the use of sensitive configurations. So we won't let users elevate the permissions of the container. We won't let them get access to, to sys control. We won't let them bind mount the hard drives or, or, or bind mount the root file system if the admin decides that is a bad idea. So we have a whole bunch of best practice policies that we have embedded into Botana that controls what the end user has access to from within that organization. And in Kubernetes, it's things like the default namespace. The default namespace is available on on every single Kubernetes cluster. All users have access to the default namespace. It is in no way protected or secured. And so it can be used as a dumping ground in, in Portainer, we say, well actually that's actually, that, that could be quite a dangerous thing. Every single application really should be namespaced and should be should be constrained by some kind of quota or some other permissions. So we will, we, we provide an option for an admin to say no one can use the, use the default namespace. Everyone must use actual namespaces. And then with actual namespaces we enforce things like quotering. So an admin will go and turn on a quota and say, for this namespace, you have this much CPU and RAM and disk and load balances and ingresses that you can use no more. Uh, and we, we basically go and lock and constrain that. We also do things like protect the organization from out-of-memory uh, crashes. One of the worst things that can happen in your environment is that too many containers are deployed that use too many resources. The cluster runs out of resources. The Linux kernel pulls out its 44 magnum and starts shooting processes at random called out of memory error, which can take down your entire cluster. With Portainer, we give the administrator to set to set a threshold to say do not allow, do not allow users to assign more resources to containers than is available in a cluster. and we let them say even reserve 5, 10, 15% of the resources for system services so users can only consume the balance. So we we have a whole bunch of protections in place to ensure that the system stays up and stable.
0: So can you tell me a little bit more about how your your control plane works and or how how you interface with Kubernetes and like I guess how data is fed back between Kubernetes or the containers that you're managing and I guess the interface between Portainer and the containers themselves.
1: Okay, so using the Portainer agent, you know, this runs in the clusters that we're managing. Those talk directly to either the Kubernetes API or the Docker API directly either using sockets or just using the API port from a Kubernetes perspective. So Portainer talks to the agent, the agent acts as a proxy uh, through to the API and proxies a request through to to the API natively. So inside Portainer, when you're saying, give me a list of all of the applications or pods running on this cluster, Portainer makes the call to the, uh, the Portainer agent. The Portainer agent then proxies the call to the, the Kubernetes API, retrieves the information, filters out anything that needs to be filtered out from a security perspective and provides that response back to the user. Now, One of the important things to note is that inside Portainer, we, we support users and, and user profiles, so you have a whole bunch of users and teams defined in Portainer. When you create a user and assign them uh, permissions, we actually then automatically go and create a user on your behalf in the backend Kubernetes cluster. So we'll go and create a user, we'll assign all of the required RBAC rules, and we'll basically configure the backend for you uh, so that any any you know, connection from the user to the backend environment is safe and secure.
0: What kinds of instrumentation do you see the average Kubernetes user deploying alongside their, or I guess c- container user, deploying uh, alongside their infrastructure? Like, are you seeing a lot of service mesh usage or usage of, we did a show on Calico recently. Tell me about some of the, the infrastructure that, that you're seeing paired with, with container infrastructure most frequently.
1: We might be in our own little little micro-echo chamber because we, we currently don't support service mesh configurations. So we don't see a lot of service mesh deployments. Now that may be just the fact of the matter or maybe that our users don't use it. Uh, what we see definitely is a high degree of ingress use. Uh, traffic is very high in, in use. Uh, obviously things like the Nginx proxy as well. So we, we see a lot of that and we see a lot of, of persistent storage Um, it still surprises me how many people are actually running NFS as their their persistent storage connection mechanism of choice. NFS historically hasn't been seen as the fastest way to access storage, but it seems to be the easiest way of connecting external storage devices to Kubernetes, so therefore it is seemingly becoming one of the most popular. We also see a lot of people using Prometheus and Grafana, um, Alert Manager. That seems to be a relatively de facto standard now. So yeah, we, we that is that is a very common deployment uh, option. So you basically have that monitoring your application performance, uh, setting up alerts, and that, that, that's actually why in the future we want Portainer to integrate with these tools as well. So you can have a single dashboard to see and engage and manage with all your applications. So using Portainer for certain native Capabilities and then Portainer integrating with things like Prometheus and Grafana to pull in metrics, so you can still just use Portainer as your single interface, but get access to best of breed capability from both Portainer and external tools.
0: Do you think the the usage of service mesh or the widespread popularity of service mesh is is overhyped?
1: I think service mesh is incredibly complicated and I think it is still very early adopter centric. So is it overhyped? Mm, is it over marketed? Maybe. I, I'm not entirely sure. Its use is as widespread as many would be led to to believe. It is still a very, very complicated deployment option. So if you if you want to get started with that, you know, you, you better make sure that you've got some some relatively senior people on your staff that can that can manage that that level of complexity. So is it something that may take off in in a far grander scale in the future? Sure, absolutely. Uh, But Kubernetes is still definitely not mainstream. So until Kubernetes gets more mainstream, then service mesh is still a long way behind.
0: What has been the go-to-market strategy like? Just because I I know you must be competing so directly with all of these other container management solutions. I'd just like to know about the, the competitive dynamics.
1: Okay, so the, the, there's a couple of ways that you go to market, right? So there, there's the go-to-market through the open-source product, and we have a very rich open-source product. About 80% or even even more of our dev efforts go into maintaining the open-source product, so adding adding new features every single day. In fact, just last night we, we pushed a new version of our open-source product, uh, and there were 90 new features added to it. So there's, there's a lot of work in the open-source product, and we want to get... To get the the massive groundswell with the open source product, get as many people using it as possible. Uh, in regards to converting some of those to paid users, yep, we we hope that as well. And we have certain features in our Portainer Business version that are in this proprietary, you know, closed source version. Um, things like advanced RBAC and governance and security you know, capabilities that are really designed for the larger enterprise. And a very small subset of our open source users would likely convert to our, our commercial version. And that's kind of our goal. So we're not trying to say here is the open source version. If you want support, pay for support. Like like some of the other open source vendors who convert. We're basically saying here is an open source version of our product. It has about 80 to 85% of every feature you'll need. Uh, if you need some very specific controls around security or governance or compliance or chargeback or any other high-end enterprise functionality there in our, our Appleton business product. Uh, in regards to to competing against others out there, I think I think we all have our strengths and weaknesses. Uh, so it's not it's not very often that we compete head to head. Occasionally we do, and it's it's actually very rewarding for us seeing how we do against some incredibly well-funded competitors uh, when, when we come out on top. So. Yeah, people like our simplicity. They like the fact that they don't have to retrain their staff to to use Portainer. Um, One of our our very vocal users, he basically turned on Portainer for 600 of his staff on a Friday. On the Monday morning, they all came in and were able to start using Portainer without any real training or anything. They just started using it. They were previously Windows uh, people using .NET. Over the weekend, he transitioned their entire organization to .NET Core on Linux. None of those staff needed any any retraining on Linux or containers or anything. They just logged into Portainer and you know on, on the Monday and, and started working. So it's that that real simplicity, that real low barrier to entry that people find appealing from us, and that does not exist else out there in the ecosystem.
0: Is there anything else interesting you could say about the typical user of Portainer?
1: I would say the typical user is still to this day someone who is has not yet bought in fully on things like, like GitOps or, or heavy automation. Uh, they beginning the journey uh, into containers. They're, they're beginning the journey towards automation. They can start to see the light and see the benefits of microservice-based applications and um, containers in general. Uh, they're still struggling to come come to terms with the delta between more legacy virtual machine operating principles and the more modern container hyperdynamic principles and see Portainer as a learning tool to help them transition. That's why for us it's really important to to have the product grow and mature as the market grows and matures uh, you know, into things like full automation. But at this stage, I would say the vast majority of our users are not heavily invested in fully fledged CI-CD automation. They might have a CI uh, pipeline or or tool, but they don't have any any real uh, CD capabilities. So they have software to take their code and build images, but they then have to still manually deploy and manage their applications. That said, we still support most CD systems through things like webhooks or, or Git integration. But moving forward, we want to get far, far tighter integration with things like like Git operators, um, GitHub actions, so that we can have a whole bunch of automation triggering when our users mature sufficiently to want that degree of automation.
0: What's the hardest engineering problem you've had to solve so far?
1: When we decided to go into the edge compute space, Altaina was was initially designed to be managing a dozen or so clusters concurrently. Uh, When we went into the edge compute space and we needed to now manage many thousands of clusters concurrently, how do you do that? We hadn't really thought of back-end pagination. We hadn't really thought of monumental scale. So some of of the UX elements in the application that had drop-down boxes, when you click the drop-down arrow and there's now 25,000 things in the list, it becomes... Crazy to scroll through, so we had to do a whole bunch of reengineering to say how do we actually how do we have a UI that can support you know many many thousands of clusters in a list and many many thousands of containers uh, you know that are there possibly so you know that that was a huge undertaking you know, we we did that in partnership with Intel uh, when we built the, our original edge compute capability um, and that was that was a massive undertaking I suppose the second was when we did actually branch out. From just being a Docker UI, I mean, if you know of Portainer's background, we were a, just a simple Docker UI. And to make the transition from being a Docker UI into being a fully fledged container management uh, application, um, that was that was quite a, a, a monumental shift. So when we first introduced support for Kubernetes and ACI into Portainer, that was also a, a massive undertaking. It was basically a complete rewrite of Portainer from the grounds up. So yeah, our version 1 product to our version 2 product, there is, I would say, maybe three times the amount of code in the version 2 product than there is in the version 1. So pretty pretty massive undertaking.
0: So you've built out observability and monitoring into your platform. How do you build an observability product as kind of a, an add-on that competes with the companies that are entirely dedicated to observability.
1: Okay, so what we've done natively in the product is provided access to real-time stats. So real-time container stats, real-time host stats, we let you aggregate all the stats for all of the components that make up an application. So if an application comprises a front-end, a middleware, and a back-end container, uh, we will let you aggregate all those together and see the stats for that. Uh, we, we can let you see the logs of, of the containers. What we don't do is let you see how was the performance yesterday at 10am versus today at 10am or or today versus last month. We, we don't let you do that compare and contrast. Uh, we don't have any, any capacity forecasting at this point in time. Now, we would be foolish to think that we could actually build something better than these other organisations out there and that's why we, we are using integrations. So moving forward with Portainer as we want to start to bring even richer observability to let you do capacity yeah, analysis and yeah, looking backwards, looking forwards, trending. Uh, we want to do integrations with things like, like Prometheus and Grafana. Yeah, Prometheus as a, as the data collection engine, Grafana as the dashboard tool, and then we'll pull those, those dashboards into Portainer and visualize them within the application so we we're not trying to replace the best of breeds products, and we we want to work closer with them through integrations.
0: And to what extent do you have to build out tools or APIs for integrations? like for, if somebody wants you know more robust observability or something, do you have to build out additional tooling for that, or is it enough for them to just integrate with Docker or Kubernetes or whatever else uh, whatever infrastructure they have?
1: So we need to build out an array of dashboards so we can actually build an integration with Prometheus and Grafana and that's cool, but you get a blank dashboard. So in order for us to actually be able to get anything useful out of them, we need to publish our own dashboards. So we, we need to know what are the the particular screens that we want to display within Portainer. We need to build those as, as dashboard templates and then publish those into Grafana. So, as part of the integrations, you know, we have to build not only the API integration, but we need to build the portfolio or, or catalog of dashboards that we want to then publish through, to then pull through into Portainer. So, it's not it's not as simple as saying take any existing back end Prometheus or Grafana installation and Portainer magically can import all the configurations. No, we can, we can reuse an existing um, implementation, but we need to publish our own, our own dashboards into them so that we can then pull that data back into Portainer to visualize in our unique way.
0: How much do you have to invest in support and help with the management of, of the platform? Is it, is it self-serve enough that the average customer can can totally take it on? Or do you feel like you need a lot of customer service on your team?
1: It's actually not that heavy, to be, to be frank. We've invested a lot in our uh, documentation and in our YouTube tutorial videos. So we, we're aiming to have as much of it as self-service as possible. We have a small team of people whose sole job it is is to exist in the community and look at questions and provide answers. Um, now, we do that because we want our users to have an amazing experience with Portainer, regardless of it's open source or commercial. So they exist in the community and they answer the questions. They're in our Discord channels, they're in Slack, they're in Stack Overflow, they're in Reddit. You know, they exist everywhere and they, they, they look and listen and answer questions as needed. For our business customers, we have a full success program, which includes uh, onboarding support and monthly check-in calls and you know, ad hoc assistance to us. Surprisingly, even though it comes bundled with the business edition license fee, Very few of our business users actually need to even use that service. The product is so turnkey stable and the actual documentation for it so extensive, most of them are still relatively self-service. So even though they have ready access to our engineering team, should they want to ask questions or have demos or or walkthroughs or trainings, the vast majority of them don't find the need to do so because they've got uh, sufficient traction in their deployment or their own management through our self-service tooling
0: to what extent do you compete with the cloud provider offerings? Are, are there cloud provider offerings that that you compete with or is it sort of agnostic because you're you're more like managing cloud resources?
1: Yeah, I wouldn't say we compete with the cloud providers again, because we're not trying to help people build clusters we don't directly compete with cloud providers who want to just sell you a managed Kubernetes cluster. In fact, we, we require you to have a cluster up and running. So having a user log into their cloud provider and say, I want a managed Kubernetes cluster is one of one of the first things they do when they're, when they're deploying Portainer. Uh, there are some elements of cloud providers that if you are all in on their technologies, may downplay some of the need for Portainer if you're all in on, say, Google Cloud Run, it, that's, that is that is a very simple tool to use. Do you necessarily need things like Portainer? Maybe, maybe not. Um, there are a lot of organizations, though, that are not all in on any one cloud provider. They have multiple cloud providers and want a tool that can normalize the engagement but you know, to their users, and Portainer can be that, that unifying portal. So users log into Portainer, and it is, it is the exact same experience, whether they're operating a Kubernetes cluster that's in Google or Amazon or Azure or DigitalOcean or any of the multitude of managed Kubernetes providers out there, it is a single unified experience between the user and portainer.
0: As we begin to wrap up, I'd love to know your perspective on the future, like what you're planning to build out and how you anticipate the ecosystem evolving over the near term.
1: So what what we plan to build out is a serverless like experience for our users. So, for users who just want to deploy an application, they don't really care about where or how, they just want to deploy. We want to provide a neutral platform independent interface to Portainer that they can just connect to a la serverless. So, you connect to Portainer, you say, I want to deploy my application. It's going to come from this Git repo or from this image, it's going to be published on the internet. I don't need to persist any storage, or maybe I do. I want it to be auto-scaled, go. And then Portainer from that input will then go and determine the best potential endpoint to go and run on based on metadata. So the administrator will basically enrich a cluster with metadata that gives Portainer insight about about its location. Is it a highly secure environment? Uh, Is it a non-prod environment? Is it a prod environment? And Portainer will will digest that metadata and surface that to the user. And as part of that process of filling in this form or or connecting to us through this API, we will ask them or have them provide us answers to questions. What type of environment are you deploying? Is it prod? Is it non-prod? Is this a high secure or is it an insecure environment? We will use these these users' inputs coupled with the metadata to go and recommend an endpoint to, to deploy upon. We'll then couple that with things like chargeback to say, if you deploy this application on endpoint A, it'll cost you $15 a month. If you deploy this application on endpoint B, it'll cost you $27 a month. We recommend endpoint A because it's cheaper. So we, we're going to have this kind of advanced metadata and you know, platform-independent interface. Uh, we also want to get far tighter with things like like GitOps, so where there's, where there's full automation. So Portainer becomes more of a tool to monitor than deploy. So the deployments are all managed through some external service that connects to Portainer, and then Portainer will go and connect to the backend infrastructure to go and deploy it. Again, you can maintain a library of multiple different, different types of GitOps connections to all of your different cloud providers, or you can maintain one to Portainer, and then Portainer will translate that for you on your behalf. In the back end, we want Portainer to have more and more and more points of of deployment um, relevance. So all we care about is that your application runs in a container. We don't care how and where that runs. It doesn't have to be in an orchestrator. So if you want to go and deploy that on Heroku's container platform, go ahead. If you want to deploy on fly.io, go ahead. So we, we we want to add more and more and more deployment locations that we support in the back end. So in the front end, user says, "I want to deploy my app." In the back end, we have you know, dozens and dozens of endpoint types that you can deploy to. So that that's kind of the, the the end goal for this year is to have this this neutral front end, a really rich array of backends we support, and then in the middle, we want Portainer having as many points of touch into an organization as possible. We don't just want the users of Portainer to be developers or administrators. We want users of Portainer also being the IT executive or the finance person who needs to do chargeback. We want the person in security to be able to log into Portainer and say, show me how users are working in compliance against our policy. Have they actually configured network security policies? Have, have they is, is anyone out there running containers that are elevated in permissions? So we, we want to have this, this this multi-point of touch within an organization. So three, three-pronged approach for the application moving forward.
0: Cool. Well, Neil, I appreciate you coming on the show. Is there anything else you'd like to add?
1: No. All, all I can say is, is watch the space. Yeah. Now that we've got our Series A funding, we're we're really doubling down on on development and yeah, working to create a, a world class tool designed to manage your applications. So yeah, definitely watch the space. We're we're going to be evolving very very quickly.
0: Great. Well, thank you.
1: Thanks a lot.